Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and all of the papers today, the, many of them uh, leading with the very latest. And is this the end of the line now for Ryan uh, Tuberty? Many of the papers are reporting that he is said to be in shock. And I couldn't help but think of him this morning just on a human level, because we do know broadcasting is something he really loves to do. We do know that getting back onto his radio show was very, very high on on his list of uh, priorities and the rug has firmly been pulled out from under him after it was renounced his uh, return to the airwaves and all the negotiations for the return to the airwaves came to an abrupt ending. And just as it w- appeared that the deal was very close to being signed off on, the Director General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst, uh, said he chose to end the talks, effectively ending Ryan Tuberty's lifelong career with RTE. He said that trust had simply broken down in the discussions. He said a core agreement was in place for the former Late Late Show host to return to his morning slot and he was due to be back on the 4th of September so in two weeks time and his new pay scale was going to be €170,000 a year. Still a lot of money but way down on when you're looking at in the last number of years he was on over half a million so certainly he was taking a huge, huge pay cut but was willing to sign off on uh, that but it was Ryan Tuberty's statement in response to the Grant Thornhill report that came out this week, that was um, on the controversy. The statement that Ryan made was without consultation with RTE. And of course, he was once again insisting that his originally stated earnings for 2020 and 2021 uh, were corrected. According to Kevin Backhurst, that muddied the waters. Kevin Backhurst went then to Ryan Tuberty's lawyers to try to get some clarification on the matter. But the clarification that he received was basically a restatement of that statement. And then when asked whether any statement on behalf of Ryan Tuberty would be issued. His crisis communication manager, this is a guy called Ray Gordon, simply responded to the Irish Daily Mail, nope. (laughs) Ryan Doberty is saying nothing at the moment and it was Ryan Doberty's refusal to accept that corrected salary figure published by RTE that appears now to have led to his uh, downfall, which is just mind-numbing that it's something like this. You know, everyone accepts, everybody now knows what happens. There's been so much commentary. There's been so many doll committees uh, about it. Why would he still stick to his guns and still try to say, oh, well, look, I was right in 
what I uh, said. Kevin Backer said he spoke with Ryan Tuberty last night to inform him that the negotiations now were kaput. They were ended. He said that Ryan was shocked and that he was also, Ryan was very disappointed. And Kevin Backhurst also said it was a very difficult conversation to uh, have. He also divulged some of the details of Ryan Tuberty's proposed deal last night. Last night was the first time we heard that that new wage was going to be 170,000 and that was for the morning show uh, one hour a day, five days a week, but it also was going to include a uh, podcast. And then I heard earlier today that Kevin Backhurst has said that RTE are still paying Ryan Tuberty but they're going to be wrapping. That's the next thing they've got to sort out. Stop paying him now that they know he's not uh, coming back. And Ryan Tuberty had also agreed to pay back the €150,000 that came out of the RTE bank account after Renault didn't continue with their three-year commercial uh, contract. Will he still pay that back? Only time will tell. Uh, Kevin Backer said he that he always got on well with Ryan and he was forced to make the decision to focus on rebuilding trust as it has very much come a distraction. He said, I don't actually feel that Ryan was best served by the people around him who had advised him on making this statement. Yeah, I don't know who he's going to for advice, but it doesn't look like Ryan is getting the best advice at the moment. And then within RTE itself, uh, and and this is the big problem, the workers within RTE. There's a cohort of workers in RTE who feel desperately sorry for Ryan Tuberty and we're saying, bring him back. You know, he's a great broadcaster. We'll welcome him back with open arms. But there was another cohort of people within RTE who were very angry about what happened. And I think understandably could be angry and about what happened. The, these were people, the lower paid workers in RTE, who had all taken pay cuts during the very difficult times and were of the belief that everyone, including those who were in ridiculously high salaries, that they were all taking pay cuts as well. And for them to find out that that wasn't happening was just absolutely galling uh, for them. So some of the papers this morning are reporting that there was shock within RTE by the decision last night. I just think it was the Nobody saw it coming, I think. I think that's probably what led to the shock as well, particularly when everybody knew they were very close to signing a new uh, contract. Some informed sources in the papers today said that they were aware of an offer being close to being finalised since last weekend. The mood music since last week had completely shifted and people were preparing to see Ryan Tuberty come back. Another source says that while it was a tough decision, most of the staff feel it's a correct one. Uh, one said, I've lost count of how many conversations I've had as part of, uh, as part of or overheard where the conclusion was Tuberty needed to go if the new bosses wanted to show that they seriously wanted to pursue change. We are all aware, said one insider, that Ryan Tuberty did nothing wrong legally, but morally and ethically. It stinks to high heaven. And a senior member of staff said that the new Late Late Show host, Patrick Keelty, is now very much in RTE and visible and people are getting to see him. He's around the building. Obviously, he's preparing for his first uh, show at the end of September. One said, there's a new sheriff in town and I suspect he might wipe the floor with uh, Tuberty and I suppose only time will tell. And actually talking of... 
Patrick Keelty and the new uh, Late Late Show. The new Late Late Show logo was revealed uh, yesterday uh, evening. It went up on the official Twitter account of the Late Late Show and they shared the first look on uh, social media, the logo. It has a dark blue background with the Late Late written in white in kind of a bold font in a light blue uh, circle. Looks very, very slick. But what lots of people, as soon as they saw it on social media yesterday, a lot of people are saying, where's the iconic owl? Is there going to be no owl in the logo? One person on Twitter said, where's the owl? Late Late Show without the owl? Isn't the Late Late. Someone else said, ah, lads, where's the owl? (laughs) And a third uh, person on Twitter says, I miss the owl. Well, somebody else says there has to be an owl, surely in the intro. (laughs) We'll have to wait until the show starts to see. But the owl certainly isn't in the logo on the Late Late. 0818103103. Michael says, Patricia, I said at the very early stages of the Ryan Tuberty debacle that he was toast, uh, which uh, was near to the mark. Ryan Tuberty and his extremely high salaried colleagues think that they are they are God. And alas, I have a strong feeling that Kevin Backers last night had a lot of them tossing and turning in their beds after his statement that all their salaries will be reviewed at the time of contract renewal. Yeah, and he's basically intimating they'll be set at the 170 mark is what people can expect. Backhurst is there to do a serious job, a job to restore trust in RTE. And if he does, then if he doesn't, then RTE will become toast, according to Michael. He's already laid down his firm markers just out of interest. I don't hear of many other broadcasters tripping over themselves offering um, Ryan Tupper uh, jobs, I suppose only time will tell. Thoughts coming in, uh, particularly on Ryan Tuberty in the news now that he is not going to be back on RTE. Bill in Clannacilty says the person that was in the middle of all of this is uh, West Cork resident Dee Forbes. She's ridden off into the sun- sunset. Does she not to be brought? Does she not need to be brought back in? The devastation her regime brought to RTE. Look at the millions now it has cost RTE and the taxpayer and she's gone and no one can touch her or go after her. In fairness, the last I heard on D Forbes, she's still out uh, sick. I mean, I know there was requests to have her before the Public Accounts Committee and the Oireachtas Media uh, Committee, but as far as I know, she's still unwell. Now you, we, we wish her uh, good health and perhaps when she's back uh, in full health, she will appear before some of those Oireachtas committees and just give questions to answer. Yes, uh, for sure. Lauren Sin. Thank you uh, for your call, Bill. Lawrence in Kinsale uh, says, I do feel sorry for Ryan, but at the end of the day, he was in the middle of this scandal and the new DG Kevin Backhurst by doing this I feel is bringing trust back to RTE. If Ryan was back on air within RTE is it not like going back to the days of the Celtic Tiger uh, when we had the big crash and all of the politicians getting back into uh, power. It's unfortunate for him but it is the right uh, decision. Uh, also on um, Patricia I'm sick of listening to Ryan Tuberty thanking everyone for all the cards and letters he's receiving from all over the country where are these people posting these cards and letters to I'm sure people have not got his address anyone you speak to is shocked and disgusted at what had taken uh, place another smoke screen by him and Sean reckons there's very few people writing to him and wishing him all the best Um, Hi Patricia no harm to draw a line in the sand 
for RTE and 170,000, which was to be his new wage packet, is more than generous. To think that he at one stage had a salary twice that of the president of the US of A. Time to give Kevin Backhurst to deal, time to get Kevin Backhurst to deal with our hospital consultants and their unsustainable uh, salaries. <laughs> Let him sort out RTE first, um, I, I think. John says, Patricia, regarding Ryan Tuberty, there's no fear of poor Ryan. He's plenty of money. It's time to move on now for everyone. This carry on goes on every day in the workplace. And John says, by the way, plenty of jobs out there. Yeah, but I don't know for his skill set, are there plenty of uh, jobs? As somebody said, there doesn't seem to be many people queuing up to offer him uh, work. But I suppose only time will tell. Patricia, I guess... Oh, no, hold that one. Um, oh, yeah, OK. Um, hi, Patricia. I guess the wise old owl on the Late Late Show was also overpaid and simply flew at the nest. And someone else says, uh, Trish, you should take a survey. I think the Late Late Show should be scrapped. It's had its day. I'm totally allergic to the Late Late. Let's stay on the Late Late and the owl. John O'Donovan is on the line. Good morning, uh, John. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm very well. Now, with everything that's going on in RTE, did you ring them about the owl? Yeah, I was on this morning <laughs> and I left all my details there because the late two office it wasn't managed, but uh, I, I left my details and everything to do with my details on the, the answering uh, service. But um, I told them that, look, I didn't want to comment on uh, the, the battle that's going on and the individual concerned. They said, I'm more concerned, they said, with the removal of the owl. The nocturnal being that was the face for since its conception, Patricia, of the late nature, the owl was part and parcel. And I guarantee you, if it came down to a public vote to know who should come back, Tuberty or the owl, the owl will win out any day. <laughs> <laughs> OK, and just... I can't hear that. And, ju- and just for people who are maybe are wondering why, why we're bringing up the owl, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, it was it was last night, the Late Show revealed their brand new uh, logo and it's um, it's nicely bright and colourful and all of that. And it's, it's meant to be more modern, but there's no owl on it. And people were yeah. saying you can't have a Late Late Show uh, logo without the owl. But maybe, as somebody said on Twitter last night, maybe when they do the opening credits the owl will fly in. Would that be enough for you? Well, well, if he makes an appearance somewhere, but I mean, the th- I, I don't know, something disturbs me. I think he, the owl could have been put out to pasture, like, but I mean, to make sure that it, it that is not so, I would advise everyone to send in, bang off an email or whatever, charity, whatever way you want to contact them, register to complain to say, you don't want to comment on what's going on, you're only concerned in one thing, you want the owl retained on the late, late show. <laughs> and I guarantee if you were doing a text poll this morning, the owl would win. <laughs> <laughs> will, 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 you, will you please let us know if you hear back from them? I'd love to I hear their indeed. response. I All right. <laughs> OK, have a good weekend, John. You Thank you for that. <laughs> He's a man of his convictions. I'll, I'll tell you that as our John O'Donovan. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. With the new school year about to get underway, Waterford is to become the first county in Ireland where every primary school will ask parents not to give their children smartphones. This, of course, is amidst growing concerns about their impact. Brian Barron is principal of Port Law National School in Waterford, and Brian joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Brian. 
morning, Patricia. How are you? And I'm very well. And, and can I say well done to Waterford uh, for this. I, I'm assuming you're taking your lead from what's happened with the schools in Greystones in County Wicklow. Yeah, that was that was quite an inspirational uh, step by the schools up there. And there's also other European countries like in Holland and different countries, they've, they've brought in measures like this. Um, and I suppose what what Greystone shows and, and Waterford shows is that this is happening everywhere. You know, the, the issues we're seeing in schools and the, that families are dealing with, um, they're everywhere. They'll be in Cork, they'll be in Tipperary, you know. Um, and the interesting thing in Waterford was a small group of us uh, who schools are in a, a close geographical area said we were going to go with this because we had so many problems. And when we put it out to the, the whole county, 100% of parents are principals, I should say, came on board within one day. You know, whether it's wow. schools that band one school like my own or um, two teacher schools, city schools, everybody is dealing with the same issues. And so you, you've designed a charter this is, and it's up to each school then to introduce the charter. Is that how it'll work? That's it. So the whole thing with this is that it's, it's collaborative. You know, it's not the big bad school declaring um, iPhones or smartphones or whatever it is are banned. That's not it. What it is is each school is inviting parents to, to start a conversation amongst themselves and with the school about children and smartphone use and social media use and age-appropriate video games. And what we're hoping is that when people reflect on it and they think about it and, and as they're starting school, that they'll sign up to this charter and they'll say, right, look, schools are clearly saying there's an issue here. We're not, you know, we're not making this stuff up. It's in the press almost weekly now at this point, the, the issues of smartphones and young people. And the group we're talking about are five-year-olds to 12-year-olds. Yeah, you know, we're not talking about teenagers. They're very, very young. Yeah. And between cyberbullying, between completely inappropriate content, hyper-violent content, hyper-sexual content, um, it's, it's very scary, the position we're putting our, our children in. And I suppose as schools, we're in a unique position that we can see the patterns emerging. You know, as individual parents, we deal with our own children and we're very kind of micro-focused on them. But at schools, we have the, the bigger picture and we're all seeing the same problems. And no matter what parents do to protect their children online, unfortunately, children can and children will access age-inappropriate content. That's just a fact of life. That's it. And I mean, the the software, YouTube, um, any of these uh, systems, you know, they respond to what, what you put into it. So if you put in once something about, for example, Grand Theft Auto, when you go on the next day, we all know this, you, you know, you'll have, your child will have videos and videos and videos about Grand Theft Auto. And mm-hmm. they're not for six-year-olds. They're not for eight-year-olds. They're, they're often made by adults, um, for adults. So... It's it's kind of the Wild West, you know. I, I, I notice this, I kind of equate it to bringing your child into into a pub on a Saturday night and sitting them up at the bar and leaving them there and hoping nobody around them says anything inappropriate and hoping everyone in the bar has their best interest at heart. It's, it's not an appropriate environment. So even supervision of small children on smartphones and social media isn't enough. They, mm-hmm. just, they shouldn't be there in the first place. That's, that's what we're seeing. They just can't handle it. And cyberbullying, Brian, would you, is that something you would have seen growing over the years? Yeah, it's, the problem again with cyberbullying that I see over and over is that it's not, I shouldn't say it's not malicious, that's not right. Often it's, it's nearly unintended. The children say things to each other online that they would never say face to face. 
Um, what happens is, you know, we're all familiar with childhood dynamics. There's always a few popular children and a few uh, kind of not-so-popular children. Those of us who used to be in the middle trying to keep up, you know. And what happens is something is said... And then a popular child or one of the stronger personalities will say, oh, I can't believe you. I can't believe you said that. We're not leaving you in this group anymore. And they eject the child from the group or children get completely isolated. You know, the way they treat each other is so harsh online to com- compared to the way they treat each other face to face, which is something adults do as well. Yeah, I was I was talking with a friend of mine whose little eleven year old daughter discovered that she'd been excluded from mm. a, a WhatsApp group, um, and it was just devastating for this little girl. She was the only one uh, not included, and of course, exclusion is a form of of bullying, whether the other little girls realised it um, or, or not. Um, how do you think children are going to react to this initiative, Brian? Well, to be honest, I think. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for the majority of children we're, we're kind of aiming this at will be the younger ones who don't have smartphones anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. But what we would what we would be saying uh, to, to parents who give children smartphones is that you can't see it as a child's smartphone. It's your, and not just children, teenagers, it's your smartphone that you're letting them have and you have to have complete access to it. So... The fact if a child has a smartphone, a parent is going to feel empowered to take take it off them um, and sign up to this charter. The child might not like it in the short term, but what we're hoping is you see now that child won't stand out in the class. That yeah. there'll be a group of children, and a group of parents saying, "Look, there's ten of us. We've signed up to this charter, so we know we're not getting our child a smartphone." You know, the children may not like it. But our experience of what happens when it goes wrong, which has happened more and more frequently, um, it, it, you're, you're doing the right thing yeah. as a parent. You're keeping and, uh, you see, and schemes like this takes away that pester power uh, from the children. Everybody else in the class has one. I've mm. got to have one. All my friends have one. It completely takes that away. Exactly. And once once you sign up to it and you stick it up in the fridge, you, you know, it's there. Like you say, it's a conversation ending moment where you say, no, we signed up to this and that's it. And I had a conversation because I'm a parent myself. I have two children in primary school. And I had a, parent, uh, a conversation with a parent at a community barbecue we had here. And he was saying to me, um, our, our sons are in first class, and he was saying to me, who's the first parent who's going to break? Because the first one who does, we're all going to have to get the phone. And I think there's a level of anxiety amongst parents that they don't want their child excluded. They don't want their child to be the only one. So this is a a way for parents to have a conversation amongst themselves and say, we're going to sign up to this as a group. Mm. You you may not get 100% of the class, but if you get enough then there's, there's strength for parents as well in numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think a lot of other counties are going to be watching Waterford uh, very closely. I would love to see this being rolled out uh, nationwide. I, I really do think it would be fantastic. Somebody by text saying, as David Coleman, the child psychologist, once said when he was asked, what age do you think it's OK uh, to give a primary school child a smartphone? David Coleman's answer was, you give a child a phone when you're OK with them looking up or getting access to pornography. It's as easy as that, because once you hand them a smartphone, that's exactly it. They have access to age inappropriate content, which, of course, includes porn. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, OK, well, listen, good luck with it, Brian. And actually, before I let you go, this, of course, um, the first year with the free school books for primary mm. students. Are you, are you all set for it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's gone very well. We In Port Law National School, we've always had a, a book rental scheme. Oh, great. So we had our structures in place, and uh, we have a great team here who, who do all that work for us. Um, so no, it's been it's been great, it's been seamless, and it's, it's great for parents. It really relieves us. as a parent myself of two children in primary school. It, it's great for us. Okay, all right. In the summer holidays, when are you back in in Port Law? Um, the week after next, week. the end of August. Okay, well, in, enjoy what time you have left. Even though principals never seem to get time off in the summer, you're working all the time. I do oh, appreciate I know, I know. that. But listen, <laughs> great to chat to you. We might check in with you during the year. I'll be dying to hear how it goes, uh, Brian. Uh, but do. thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Brian Barron. What a lovely principal. He is principal at Port Law National School in County Waterford. And Waterford now the first uh, county hoping that they'll get every single primary child, uh, they, well, they get their parents signed up that they won't buy them a smartphone until they leave primary school. OK, some of your commentary uh, coming in, still getting in a lot of commentary about Ryan uh, Tuberty in the news that he's not coming back. Uh, and also about the logo, the new Late Late Show logo doesn't seem to have an owl on it. Alma said, looking at the new Late Late, Late, Late Show logo, it looks like the Batman signal in the sky. And well, you're spot on. I, I was looking at it saying, what does that remind me of? And that's what it does. It looks like, if, if, you, if people haven't seen it, that's what it looks like. When you look at it first, it looks like, you know, when, they, when you see the Batman uh, signal when they flash it up in the sky. And actually, John in Mallow, I'm assuming, is thinking the same as Alma. Uh, John says, after seeing the new Late Late Show logo this morning, maybe Ryan Tuberty could become the new Batman. He has all of the features for it, and, except he's not going to be presented the Late Late, but maybe he could become Batman. John in Cove, uh, when I, I take if this is John's reaction to me saying I feel a little bit sorry for Ryan Tuberty uh, today because you know what he most wants to do is get back on the air and that has been taken from uh, him John in Cove says Patricia should we start a GoFundMe page for him to make up for his loss of earnings he was cut out like so many other cronies have in the past he never saw a poor day in his uh, life and, he, and you're assuming he's got a lot of money in the bank as well somebody else saying he He's a waste of money. He never should have been paid those kind of uh, wages. Why we're talking about RTE and the TV licence. And of course, there's been a huge fall off in people paying the TV licence. Now, only time will tell if that's just kind of a protest vote and that people will eventually pay their TV licence. But I know since it broke in June, month on month throughout July and again here in August, they're losing about a million a week, I think, in people not either renewing their licence or taking out licences for the first time when we compare the figures to last year and to previous uh, years. Somebody says, why why is it that RTE don't show League of Ireland football matches anymore? I always used to like watching them and it's vanished to me, says this West Cork listener. It was the only thing worth watching. Uh, and I don't know why they stopped showing League of Ireland matches. I didn't know that they, uh, how many they used to show or why that decision was taken. Maybe somebody in the know uh, can let us know. John says, Patricia, people are fed up with Ryan Tuberty and RTE and the media fest about it. The media should focus on the figures rele- released to Paddy Tobin of A2 and the freedom of information about the number of people harmed because of adverse outcomes from the HSC over the last few years. And I am planning on and including that in the programme today, uh, John, I was going down to those figures this morning and they are 
absolutely shocking and that's got a lot to do with overcrowding and understaffing in our hospitals. Hi Patricia, maybe you should have a, when you should have a text poll to ascertain whether we should have to listen to John O'Donovan's opinions on a daily basis. Uh, love the show. Someone else says, John O'Donovan is so funny and he's right in what he's saying. If Gay Byrne was alive and still presenting the Late Late Show, that owl would be flying in. Oh yeah, well we've, as, as I said, and I did say to John O'Donovan, we're going to have to wait until the show actually starts to see. I'm assuming that they'll put it into some way into the intro. But I was looking back on previous logos and the owl was always there somewhere in the logo. So the fact that it is now not in the logo, are we to assume that there is going to be lots of changes in the late, late? And is this going to be one of them? There will be no uh, owl. Hi, Patricia. Who needs Ryan Tuberty when, we, um, when we've got the best on C103 and Radio Kerry? Keep up the good work. That's where Rath Moore uh, listener. Thank you for that. I have to say I was quite taken aback this morning uh, reading the figures that have been revealed under Freedom of Information showing that more than 3,000 patients have died following an incident that happened within the Irish Health Service and that's since uh, 2018. HSC figures is showing that more than 480,000, that's close to half a million incidents potentially causing harm were recorded across hospitals and community healthcare since 2018. Now, they include things like falls, attacks on patients or staff, problems with medication, treating the wrong limb. I don't even want to think about what that uh, covers. Our reactions to medical devices, just, just among some of the issues. And obviously now nurses and patient advocacy groups are saying the figures are unsurprising and that's due to the persistent overcrowding. Taking a look at the figures for last year, there was a total of 106,967 and that was the highest for the last five years, while around half of the incidents annually led to an injury. 556 led to a death isn't that? They're really shocking uh, figures. A spokesperson for the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation says hospitals are not supposed to be dangerous places. No matter how highly skilled your staff are, patient safety issues and the risk of missed care incidents are now inevitable in a situation where patients are lining corridors on trolleys and there simply are not enough staff on duty to care for them. She described the figures as very high, but for people working within our hospitals and our healthcare settings, they're not surprised by these uh, figures. I think it's us, members of the general public, it's jaw-dropping to read these figures, particularly the amount of people that died because of an incident, something going wrong while in hospital. They say all increases in the number of patients and how sick they are when they're admitted to hospital risk tipping a ward over to a point where something can easily go wrong. And that's why safe staffing is so important. And Dowling is a consulting, a consulting legal nurse with AMA Healthcare. And she says pressures are simply growing on staff and on patients. She said we need to change the culture to that of non-blaming and just deal with the situation and get these adverse events reduced where possible. And then I saw that the Irish Patients Association uh, group there, uh, co-founder Stephen uh, McMahon, who does wonderful, wonderful work on behalf of uh, patients, he said, look, every human 
every death represents a huge trauma. Uh, Stephen McMahon called for improvements in how risk is managed, saying that the HSE needs to start listening to patients. He says we are not the enemy. Last year, the Solta Hospital Group, now they represent the groups in the northwest of the country. They had the highest number of hospital incidents, but that was followed by the South Southwest Group. And when you break it down by community, the community area with the highest numbers was those covered in Donegal and the surrounding counties. And that then sadly was followed by us here in Cork and Kerry. And the data was released following a parliamentary question by the AIN2 TD, Pather Tobin. And he's now called for an investigation into the increase in these numbers. He says reform and investment are necessary to end what he's described as a disaster. He said it's clear that the gross understaffing of our health service is putting enormous pressure on staff and that is approved. There's now a proven collation between understaff and then mistakes being made. And he warned also of the financial implications of it. I mean, he was talking about the state claims agency because, of course, a lot of the majority of these cases, if something goes wrong and it's proven it was the fault of the hospital, what do people do? Of course, they're going to sue the hospital. So the hospital then and the HSC have to pay out compensation, which comes from the state's claims uh, agency. And in total, 1.4 billion uh, in compensation was paid following HSC adverse incidents in the past five years, 1.4 billion. And the HSE records adverse incidents when something happens which results in harm, which may or may not be the result of uh, an error. But when you think about it, if, you know, that 1.4 billion, couldn't that 1.4 billion have been used to hire staff and bring up the staffing number to ensure that those incidents didn't occur instead of having to put families through tragic events when people uh, died. But even the whole trauma of something going wrong and, you know, leading to an adverse effect. You know, I think what the nurses and midwives organisation said, you know, we go into hospital because we want to be looked after. We expect that when we get admitted to hospital that it's going to be the right place and a safe place uh, to be and we put our loved ones into hospital and then for something like that to go wrong but I just think it's the magnitude of uh, the numbers. I mean to think since uh, you know 2018 that's five years ago 3,000 patients having died following incidents in our healthcare service. That really is a shocking, shocking figure and something has to be done uh, about it. We need to stop this persistent overcrowding which is going on all the time and because of that overcrowding it's unfair then on the staff who are obviously working flat out, the staff are getting tired and of course that's when mistakes are uh, made. Truly shocking. 0818 103 103. John says those figures Patricia don't surprise me at all these mistakes have been happening for years people just don't seem to notice uh, them but they've been going on for years thank you for your text John now a Tipper Mary man who runs a bar on Maui is attempting to raise money to help the people on the Hawaiian island which has been left devastated following the wildfires Michael Dwyer who runs Mulligan's Bar uh, joins me uh, this morning good morning to you Mike good morning Patricia Oh, indeed, it's good evening. It's it's what time is it where you are? 
It's uh, 10 past 12 at night. Okay. Or I suppose 10 past 12 in the morning. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I appreciate you staying up to uh, take our call. I suppose, firstly, how are you doing and were you directly affected by the fires? I'm doing okay. And no, I wasn't. There was three different fires we had to evacuate, but uh, we were lucky we were able to get back into our homes and all my family are safe and secure. And your business is all, your business and, and where you live is all okay? The business is okay. Uh, everybody is cancelled coming to the island because they were told to by different people in the media and so forth and people have cancelled. So business is struggling, but we can live with that. But uh, there's no tourists here right now. Planes are empty, even though our side of the island is um, operational and not affected by the fires. And the death toll continues to rise, Mike, on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're not releasing the numbers till the bodies have been um, identified or such like that are put together. So the, the toll is a lot higher than you've been told right now. Is it possible that some will never be found and, and never identified? Unfortunately, it is from what I can gather. And, I mean, they're talking about up to a thousand people still unaccounted for? Well, I think there's 1,400 people unaccounted for. Oh and some goodness. of those are children. Yeah. Oh, it's just totally, totally uh, devastating. We had a local, one of our own local priests, uh, Mike Father Liam Kelleher. He's a regular visitor to La, La, La Hahina. That, that's the town that town and that area is completely destroyed. That's where the focus of the fires were. Talk to me about that area and what that area was like prior to the, to the wildfires. As I mentioned on uh, Prime TV there last week, uh, Lahaina would be like possibly Kinsale. Okay. Uh, very booming, thriving uh, seaside village on the coast, like an old whaling village, antique-like shops, um, built in the 1900s uh, on the waterfront, uh, souvenir shops, galleries, restaurants, and so forth. Uh, very narrow streets, uh, old houses, uh, old buildings, and so forth, and buildings running, streets running parallel with each other, and so forth. So that's where Lahaina was, and that's where you went, you know, for your views, and to um, take boats out to go snorkeling and diving, and entertainment like that. So that was Lahaina. And obviously home to a lot of local people as well. Old Whaling Village. And the, and the fire really ripped to, through Lahaina. And because of the winds, it, was, it, it happened very quickly, didn't it? Yeah, we all thought on this side when we started seeing the pictures and the social media that it was at night time. But it started around five minutes past four in the afternoon. But uh, it happened. It all happened within 19 minutes, they, they say. But it was so black that it did look like it was the middle of the night. And there was down power lines as well, which from the wind, there was 80 miles an hour winds during the day. So there was a lot of factors involved. Embers were being carried and so forth. Uh, just something nobody has ever seen or we've never witnessed. Hopefully we'll never witness again, you know. And a lot of the buildings and the houses, uh, timber structure that, you know, we wouldn't be used to seeing here in Ireland. Right. Mostly timber. Yeah. There was one or two concrete structures that are, you know, the walls are left standing. But 
a friend of mine went to look for his car last Sunday and he said that it was dust only. So, like, there was no wheels, no axle, no chassis. My so God. that would just give you an idea of what would happen, yeah. And there was traffic jams and, of course, people trying to get out, stuck in their cars and so forth, yeah. Yeah, I saw the the picture of the, the church in, in Lahaina. I mean, just totally engulfed. It was just such a sad, sad uh, scene to witness it. It, it really is shocking. Uh, Mike, do you personally know people who died or are missing? Uh, my wife is born and raised here and she knows people personally. I know of people and uh, thankfully I don't know them that well, but uh, it would make it even harder. The biggest thing that's going to come out of this, and we really don't know about this yet, but um, on the Tuesday of the, the fires, uh, there was high winds and power out journey in the morning, so some of the schools were closed. So a lot of children stayed home from school and some children took care of each other and parents went to work. So you can imagine what came about or what happened there. So there's a lot of sadness there and uh, there will be a lot of grief to deal with and a lot of healing. And uh, yeah, so that's where we're at. A lot of children will be left orphaned. A lot of children won't be left orphaned. A lot of children are not alive because of that. Oh, the of course. Were the the parents the were, oh yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, I've, yeah. oh my God. They were left in the house. Oh, that doesn't bear home. thinking about. That doesn't bear uh, thinking uh, yeah. about. It really doesn't. Tell me about your, your fundraiser and why you set it up and what you personally hope to do with those funds. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to volunteer like I did during the pandemic and help out. We're a small community. We like living in the town back home in Ireland. Very similar um, culture, the Irish, the Hawaiian culture. And uh, radio stations and TV started calling me and I didn't want to do it because I'm not qualified to talk about anything. And I, I'm very lucky that I wasn't there in the heart of it. I'm actually going over there Saturday um, with a volunteer group to uh, give out supplies for the first time. I'm kind of half dreading it and half, you know, acknowledging that, you know, I have to do it at some stage. Some people are avoiding it, but I'm going with a group that knows where they're going. Anyway, so I decided if I'm going to go on the radio, I might as well do my best to try and raise some money, which I can put to uh, very good causes, help people down the road get back into apartments with maybe a rental deposit or different kinds of funds that I can do. So the deal was I said I would uh, start a GoFundMe in return for going on the radio and just to do highlighted a little bit in Ireland because it's no point in trying to raise money from people who are living there already. Things are tight as it is. So my friends in Ireland and the stations have been very good and I said I'd go fund me up through Mulligans on the Blue. So if anybody is interested in donating a little bit of money, even five, ten euro, they can go to Mulligans on the Blue and there's a donate button there. And the only charge or expenses that will not be used will be the credit card charges that, you know, GoFundMe takes, but yeah. the rest of the money will go straight to the bottom line. Well, and and, and, and yeah, and I love the idea of that, Mike. You'll be able to to be on the ground, uh, particularly in Lahaina, 100%. and 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 see the need. See, well, that's what's needed. Well, I've lived here twenty seven years, yeah. So, you know, uh, I've done this before on a smaller scale, and I know exactly. I think I do, and there's people who will correct me as well. And I want to take care of local Hawaiian people that have been very much displaced. 
Well done. And uh, help out when I can, you know. So, so a listener is saying, could you ask uh, Mike, could more lives have been saved if authorities handled the wildfires differently? For example, why wasn't the outdoor alert sirens um, yeah. activated? Um, honestly, I don't even want to go there because uh, there's a lot of other people going there. Every It will be investigated. As I said to my friends today, the blame game is over. We have to move, which means move on. We can't continue the tragedy, and we just got to get together as a big, huge community and family and do what we can to just bring something back to the island because it's never going to be the same again, as you can only imagine. I mean, think about Kinsale and yeah. something like this happening just on a, on a Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock and by 5 o'clock, it's gone. Uh, no structures. Yeah. I mean... You can't even imagine. So not for me to go there. And of course, the authorities will figure out where and what and how. But this is not going to bring people back. Yeah, and this, and, and it, isn't the ti- it isn't the time for it either. Uh, that's for no, sure. It's not. And it, is, it's there, not. is there enough help getting into the island, Mike? Uh, honestly, there is from what I can see. Good. There is some red tape with Red Cross and FEMA. Uh, some friends of mine had some Containers shipped to the island with goods and supplies, and they're holding on to them. And there weren't, there were my friends' names were on them, but they're holding on to them and not releasing them properly. So there is some controls, and a lot of us are going, doing our own thing with little organizations and going over there separately just to help out. Yeah, of course, you know, but everybody's, everybody's been over generous. We have lots of supplies right now to give out. What I'm worried about, Patricia, is the next couple of weeks or a month from now when it rains and, you know, not all the bodies are, people have been recovered and still people are displaced and where are we at then? So this money I'm raising, I'm not going to touch it or use it yet for a couple of weeks till we know where we're going and how we can directly help people, you know, families because, and so forth. The, and we have a little Irish community here have been going on right. the radio as well, friends of mine. There's about 20, 25 Irish people on the island. Yes, okay. Kind of got got together as well, and we're gonna we're gonna like committee it and see where best we can use the money. One of the girls is a teacher at the school, and in Lahaina, a lot of our colleagues have been displaced from school and their homes. And uh, you know, we'll have input and see what we can do it and be you know represent as Irish do all around the world. We'll represent on Maui. We'll do our thing, and hopefully. It'll, it'll help us heal. Everybody's still in shock. You know, they really are. And, you know, the the outlets haven't really, they don't know how many people are lost yet. And no, the world doesn't know yet. But, I mean, if you look at what's happened, I mean, it's something that hopefully I'll never again see in my lifetime. Well, the, picture, the pictures and the videos are, are hard to watch. And and the fact that you mentioned your, your partner is uh, Hawaiian, uh, was, was it love that brought you to Maui, Mike? <laughs> I was running away from Clonmel. <laughs> no, I, I came over with the hotel business for seasons in 96 and I stayed for a little while, opened an Irish pub and fell in love and three beautiful children later. Uh, yeah. And do you, do you yeah. get back to Clamel much? I do. I come home in February for the Greyhound racing. I've been at the Laurels in Cork there a few times. I race Greyhounds in Ireland. And um, the next Greyhound I'm going to, uh, he's nine, ten, twelve 12 months old. I'm going to 
you know, name him in honor of Lahaina and any money, he, prize money he wins, uh, we're going to donate it to the fund. We'll keep a lookout. We'll keep a lookout for that dog for sure. Listen, Mike, uh, it was great to talk to you. We will keep in contact uh, with you. And the GoFundMe page is Irish Maui Relief Fund. Or as you say, that on your social media, Mulligans, Mulligans on the Blue, uh, people can, can donate that way as well. Mike, is that the case? Just Google the website, mulliganson.blue.com. Okay. That's the easiest. Okay. Okay, listen, Mike, thanks a million. And Thank stay you. safe, Cheers. stay safe. Uh, mind yourself, that is uh, Mike O'Dwyer uh, living on uh, Maui, uh, which is a tough place to be at the moment, uh, for sure. So the GoFundMe Irish Maui Relief uh, Fund, 0818103103. And I actually just spotted this morning on the on the newswires and I was really disgusted to read, uh, read this, that some of the residents particularly around uh, Lahaina, have been uh, reporting that investors and realtors are trying to capitalise on the wildfires and they're moving in to try and purchase land from locals because obviously they know that the area will be rebuilt and they know that, you know, any of the Hawaiian islands are known as paradise and the land obviously is worth a a lot. But can you imagine going in and trying to capitalise on somebody's grief who's lost, you know, their home, their business uh, or whatever? I know the governor of Hawaii has stepped in and and, uh, says that they're not going to allow that to happen but shame on any investor or real estate agent who would think that that was a good time to go in and try and purchase land from the locals shameful 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your C103 Jobs The Crawford Art Gallery in Cork. They've got a vacancy for an audience development and communications executive. Apply through their website, please, which is crawfordartgallery.ie forward slash vacancies. Tria Oil Company are recruiting for a rigid truck driver for the Cork City and North Cork areas. ADR experience preferred, but training will be provided. CVs to careers at TRIA, T-R-I-A at dot I-A-E. Able Minds Montessori in Grenade has an AIM support position available starting in September. FITEC Level 5 references and first aid required. Call Olive 86 and Cow Asian Street Food in Mallow are looking for a full-time waiting staff. Experience desirable, although not essential. CVs to cow, spelled K-H-O-A, cowmanager at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now it is really hard to believe that our first ever Eurovision Song Contest winner, Dana, is this year celebrating 53 years of a highly successful career in show business and I'm delighted to say there's no sign of our Dana stopping because she's just released remixed versions of Fairy Tale and Baby Come Back and I'm delighted to say that Dana joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you Dana. Hi Patricia, how are you? Uh, well it's lovely to talk to you uh, again and I have to ask, do you still get the same buzz out of singing and performing as you did when you first started or is it all very different today? Well, the whole show business scene is very different today, Patricia. But uh, and, and for quite some time, I didn't do very much live singing at all, uh, uh, along with many other uh, artists, of course, with COVID. 
But even before that, because things had changed so much, and it was actually my brother Jerry, um, I always had a wee bit of a fear of the song Fairy Tale because that was the song that I was promoting when I had all the, um, I had a cancer scare with my vocal cords. Mm. And for five years, I kind of um, had to really learn to speak and then sing again. And it was five years before I could sing normally again. So, you know, it was a song I loved, but I was always afraid of it. And yeah, then, and, and uh, I, I remember at that time uh, back in the in the in the mid seventies. I mean, yeah. there was headlines in the paper saying, you know, Dana will never sing again; her career is is over. And I mean, right. you must have thought yourself. Just take us back. You you were about to perform live on TV, and suddenly you realised you couldn't sing. Was was that how it, how it kind of started for you? Exactly. It was the first TV promotion for Fairy Tale. Okay. And uh, I went, flew up to Manchester and I started to do rehearsal. And I, I mean, nothing, nothing came out. And I I thought it was nodules, like a lot of singers or, or, or like teachers or people using the voice a lot. A nodule is like a corn on your vocal cord yeah. and they pair it away. Um, and I thought, oh God, I must have a nodule or something. But I was in the hospital uh, that night and uh, operated the next morning. When I saw those headlines, Patricia, they they were in the paper immediately because I was about to start a tour of Ireland. Um, we had to cancel it. So that's how the press heard about it. And honestly, I thought they were just hyped. I thought, that's ridiculous. But then um, it was explained to me by the consultant that actually it wasn't a nodule, it was a, a growth with a root. And so they had to cut a piece of the cord out to remove the root. And I thought I'd bounce back very quickly, but it was so prolonged, I, I really hit rock bottom. And I knew that the, that the song had charted and everything in England and, and in a lot of Europe. But it was the last thing on my mind. And it was only when my brother Jerry said, I've done a new, I've done a new version of it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I think you should go in and record it. And I did that. And again, I thought, well, I've recorded it, but I'll never do it live. And he he sent it to a DJ, a friend uh, in, in uh, BBC in England, who started to play it. And the reaction has been phenomenal. And I'm learning that that song, I think it was number one in Mexico. Uh, for eight weeks, it was number one. And it, it went all over the Asian countries. And I had no idea. And I'm learning about it now. And it's, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a very famous D- DJ called Mike Reed. I do, I do. And Mike st- has started up um, what he calls the Heritage Charts. And people vote on it from all over the world. And it's a bit like the old Top of the Pops style of chart, you know? Yeah. And Fairy Tale went in at 37 or something and went up to number 12. So I'm, I'm just so taken aback and people are writing in with their memories of the song. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a kind of been mind-blowing. And, and now we've released um, Baby Come Back, which is a... Another song that, that we kind of redid. And it went in at 37 and three weeks later it's number 20. That's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I'm just taken aback yeah. and I'm I'm delighted and, 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 and I promise you, I see people saying, are you going to play it? I am, I'm going to play it in, in a moment, but I want to chat with Ardana first. Did you have any subsequent difficulties with your throat or did it all sort itself out even though it took five years? Well, I think that vocally being able to sing like prolonged, you know, like seasons or a concert run or whatever, that took five years. But to tell you the truth, the fear takes much longer, much longer. And I'd say it was about, uh, I think, around about the late 80s, 90s, when I I really felt, oh, you know, my voice is different. You know, I'm, I'm different as a person. And I work with what I have. You know, I'll never have the same voice I had then, but I will work with what I have and protect it. But the Rubicon for me has been the release of this this track. I didn't actually realize that I was still afraid of it. And I thought, well, now, come on. And like, it's 53 <laughs> years. It's time to actually step over any remaining fears that you have faced them in your life. So it's amazing how the mind often trails behind the body, Patricia, you know. So here we are and I'm talking to you this morning about it. And have you and are you now singing it live? I, I've been asked to to start doing live uh, shows. OK. But actually, I, I sang uh, live in other settings. Uh, in fact, on Sunday, August the 6th, I was singing on the top of the hill of Slane. Oh, beautiful spot. And we'd over three and a half thousand people came, and many of them from Cork. And we had a beautiful day, a light in the fire that St. Patrick did all those years ago. And I was singing live, and I was perfectly comfortable. Oh, that's brilliant. And the next step now is to, uh, I've been asked to do live shows where I'll be singing the 
commercial songs that I've recorded. So I'll, I'll let you know how I get on. Well, well, actually, one of our listeners, John Finbar, has been on to say, uh, Patricia, please say good morning to Dana. We're looking forward to seeing her in Knock. I absolutely adore her singing. I remember her singing on a Gertie cruise a few years ago. And John oh, yeah. and John has John Finbar has sent me on a a poster of a Christmas spectacular that you're doing in Knock Basilica on the 1st of December. That's right. It's a yeah. charity event and it's to help... Um, uh, victims who have suffered in their lives of victim support, uh, who find themselves as victims in many different kind of areas. And uh, there's a wonderful bill. Um, my my very good friend, John McNichols, uh, called and asked, would I be part of it? And I was very glad to be part well of done. it. So well done. It's going to be a well, beautiful big bill well. of lots of people Taking part. Well, John Finber from Cork is travelling up to it and uh, he's really looking forward to seeing it. And you're, uh, one of your big fans, Anthony Pickford in uh, Limerick, also says to say hi to you this morning. And can, lovely. Can I, can I just take you back to, seeing as I said it at the introduction, uh, to the Eurovision and every time there is a Eurovision, uh, we see you. And actually I saw it again, there was a clip show and I think it was on Reading in the Years and I saw you last night on Reading in the Years uh, singing with um, Daniel O'Donnell. But, uh, but do you... When when you look back at um, the Eurovision, do you still have wonderful memories or is it all a bit of a blur now? Oh, no, it's all crystal clear. Is it? It's very clear because I thought it would be the last time I'd ever do anything like that. I'd already decided I wasn't going to be a singer because I was racked with nerves going on to sing. I was singing in the folk clubs in Dublin and I was singing in, uh, well, with wonderful folk artists who sang the Dubliners. Of course, they were top of the bill and I was probably the bottom. And uh, we four, and uh, I think Langsty were singing, uh, were, were performing around that time as well. And But I could hardly breathe going on to sing now. I was so nervous. And I thought, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And Tom McGrath, who was head of light entertainment in RTE, he remembered me from the previous year, 1969. I sang in the National Song Contest and came second. And he remembered me. And it was really Tom McGrath that I have to thank, and the writers, Derry Lindsay and Jackie Smith, for my career today. And, and you could never have known that that uh, lovely little song, All Kinds of Everything, could lead to such a, a, a successful uh, career. And do you keep an eye on Eurovision? And it's a very different show now to uh, you, little sip of a thing, sitting up on a stool and singing your little yes. heart out. It's, it's very different. But what's your view on Eurovision today? Well, I, I, I try never to knock anything that brings people together. Okay. You know, and is a unique stepping stone for unknowns, especially for writers who find it so hard, you know, to get a foot up. But um, I I think it's very big in that it's it's, you have to dedicate yourself to watch it. Um, And we try to do that. We try to support it. Um, I mean, there's still unique pieces that get through, like the singer and the song from Portugal. Mm. who won, I think it was 2017, they won. Complete outsider. He wasn't rated anywhere. Oh, he was, that, he was that lad standing on his own singing with... I, should, I can never 
forget him. Yeah, he, he looked was. a total mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bless his heart. And he wasn't very well. He wasn't very well that no. day. But it was the song. It was the simplicity uh, and, his, you know, and his voice. That, that And his sincerity. Yeah. I just fell in love with him <laughs> and song. He was so beautiful in himself. And he, he just, he got all the national votes mm. and he got all the jury votes. So there's still... There's still hope there. I, I think because it's a fam, it's still a family program where you want to encourage young people to be interested in it, and they are. Um, I think that they, they they need to be a little more watchful of uh, what they're wearing on there or not wearing on there with little ones watching. You know, I think yeah, they just yeah. need to be a little careful on the content yeah. of it. Okay. Well, it's a unique platform. It is. I it is. It is. And, and long may it continue. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge yeah. fan. All right. Listen, um, Dana, it's been a real, real pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank you for that. And somebody says, is there any chance that Dana will come to Cork to sing? Any plans for Cork? Well, I love Cork. And you have wonderful theatre down there. So sure, I'm only waiting to be asked. Okay. All right, Dana. Listen, <laughs> thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info this week on ours to protect we'll discuss the value of hedgerows and discover why they're important to carbon sequestration biodiversity and farming Hedgerows give the Irish landscape its distinctive character and field pattern. They provide an important wildlife habitat, especially for woodland flora and fauna. Increasing the variety of hedgerow types in terms of height, width, shape and species mix promotes diversity in flora and fauna. Katie Smirnova is Campaigns Officer for Hedgerows Ireland, a not-for-profit company founded in 2004 by a group of hedge layers and other interested individuals. Hedgerows are one of Ireland's biggest assets in terms of nature conservation because our native woodland cover is so low that actually a lot of our native broadleaf trees are found in our hedgerow network, which is like hundreds of thousands of hectares um, long. And they provide benefits from carbon sequestration to biodiversity and even flood mitigation. So, for example, they pull in carbon from the air and store it. They store it in their soil. And in terms of biodiversity, 55 of our 110 regularly recorded bird species use hedgerows, many of them nesting in them, feeding in them and using them as perching posts. For example, the taller trees such as, you know, hawthorn that has been left grow tall rather than being trimmed on an annual basis. And they're super important for bats as well. So some bats won't even cross a gap of 10 metres in the hedgerow. That's how important they are for them in terms of blocking them from light pollution and creating a corridor that they can fly along. And then for the farm and for urban areas as well, they slow down the flow above the surface of the land which means that the water has more of an opportunity to kind of infiltrate and move into the soil, which means that there's less of a flood risk, for example, to housing estates or to farmland in areas that would be prone to flooding. 
Hedgerows cutting season is fast approaching. However, the practice is not always necessary and reduces the biodiversity benefits. The 1st of September kind of marks the start of the hedge cutting season. However, Hedgerows Ireland recommends that landowners think about delaying their hedge management until later in the season because in early September, you know, there's still a lot of prairies uh, and flowers on these hedgerows that are providing valuable resources for wildlife. And we've launched a campaign called the Hedge Code that was inspired by the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan and it kind of creates a set of 12 actions across three categories of planting, managing and sustainably harvesting hedgerows that we ask landowners to keep in mind for this hedge management season. So they can start off with you know, mapping their hedgerows, just figuring out what they already have, what are the potential areas for new hedgerows and is there any hedgerows that might be ready for hedging, for example, or is there any kind of hedgerows that may need to be let grow for a couple of years until they're ready for this traditional form of hedgerow rejuvenation. Hedgerows are not only beneficial to rural areas, they serve a role in carbon sequestration and curb traffic noise along roadways. They also help alleviate flooding, wind and soil erosion. Hedgerows Ireland want to promote the importance of hedgerows in urban and suburban areas. It's not just farm hedges that are important for biodiversity. It's also the hedgerow in your back garden, you know, the hedgerow in your housing estate or the hedgerows along our roads. And so all of these habitats can be managed in accordance with the hedge code. So when you're thinking about you know, make, making your garden maybe a bit more biodiversity friendly, maybe you're involved in your local tidy towns, you know, these are all actions you can take within those community groups as well. So you don't need a huge amount of space for a hedgerow. You can kind of plant it the same way in a short amount of space as well as huge, huge fields on farms. And in fact, in housing estates, it can be really important it, because in suburban areas, there's often a lot of kind of fragmentation. There's not, there, the habitats don't, aren't connected very well, which means that it's quite hard for hedgehogs, insects and other birds to kind of get from place to place because all of these habitats are like little islands. And so hedgerows can be used as a corridor in suburban areas to connect these different islands of habitats. And that's really their value as well, is as a corridor for wildlife. And to learn more about the importance of hedgerows, visit Hedgerows Ireland online or check the show notes of this episode. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. Let me go to Jerry, uh, who joins me. Now, I don't know if he's in the... Are you stuck in traffic at the moment, Jerry? No, he's gone. Where's Jerry gone? He's online too. Sorry. Uh, the phone line went down. There. Jerry, are you stuck in traffic at the moment? Uh, not really stuck in traffic, but just curious. I've, I've, um, I've, been, I've been stopped there for the last few minutes. But I'm just curious. I've travelled this route daily, twice a day, over the last seven days. There's no road works going on, yet there's traffic lights and bollards and half the road is closed. Okay, now just to, just to give people, we're talking about the, the main Clonakilty to Bandon Road and it, this and I spoke about this yesterday. This is at the Kilcolman Junction. Correct. And so, when, when did they put out, it's a stop-go system? Well, it, I, I travelled there last Saturday morning, early on Saturday, and uh, it was a place thing. 
and I travelled. I passed there twice a day, every day since then, and it's still in place. And I've never seen anybody working there, any machinery. And I'm wondering, is there some kind of a structural fault in the road, or why does the road need to be closed with no indications of what's going on? Like, there are roadworks in other areas, but not at that point. And there hasn't been any roadwork there for, for the last week. So, okay, so it's it's a traffic light system is in place, is it? It's a traffic light system, and half the road is bollards, so it's up with, with bollards. Okay, but it's it's an unmanned, There isn't, it isn't a stop-go, yeah. there isn't somebody standing. Okay, and you were saying for the, for the, for all of this week, it's been like that, and you've seen absolutely zero work going on while that stop-go system is in place. No, and I've travelled at various different times, both at night and day, over the last seven days, and I've seen no work carrying on. There, there has been work in other parts of the road, but not at that, that. That's just closed. I'm just wondering, I guess somebody forgotten about it. <laughs> because all, yeah, because on that same road, there's works going on in Badenascarthy, isn't there? There's water pipes being laid. Yeah. Yeah, they're finished there this morning or they're, they're gone from there this morning. OK, yeah, because that's somebody contacted us yesterday because they got caught in both Ban and and then in the ones you're, you're talking about. OK, I know yesterday we did get on to Cork County Council when we got uh, some calls in uh, yesterday, but they didn't come back to us yesterday. Now, we'll bang off another email uh, to them again today because whatever about you put up with traffic delays when you can physically see the work being done. They might be frustrating, but you know that once all the work is done, it'll be fine. But to have a system in place to close it off, put a traffic light in operation, slowing down all the traffic, and then there's no visible work going on, is not making any sense to me. Ward work are the main contractors for that the water pipe. So they might be worth the call as well. Okay, that's in Van Nascarthy. No, for for the entire okay, to, okay to see to see if it's if it's their work. Okay, all right. Listen, uh, Jerry, thank you for that. Thanks for highlighting it uh, again. As I say, it did get highlighted yesterday. We'll get back onto the council again. Any of the local councillors listening, perhaps they know what is going on. But according to Jerry, there the whole week it's been closed off like that. And as I say, if, when there's work going on, you just have to put up with it because you know ultimately it'll get, it'll get sorted at some stage. But it's, it is really really frustrating for that to be happening and no physical works uh, going on. 0818103103. There was a text in earlier. Well, I'll catch up with some of your texts now. Uh, Mushra Platform. They're having their last dance of the season. It's next Sunday between three and half past five. Music is by Jerry McCarthy and it promises to be a great day. No cover charge. Uh, everyone will be graced with a big Kate Mila Falta and a cup on tea. There'll be a raffle for great prizes and a few surprises as well if you want to go platform dancing uh, next Sunday. The last of the season. And Mary O'Brien has been on to me from Kilbehany, the Kilbehany Community Centre. There's uh, social dancing going on tonight. Now, Declan Anger was meant to be providing the music, but unfortunately, he's unwell and has had to cancel. So Brian McDermott is stepping in instead. But the Kilbehany dancing is going ahead tonight. But it is to uh, Brian McDermott. Uh, Michael has been on, has tinnitus. It is really affecting his life. He's gone to doctors, but they can't do anything for him. Uh, one, uh, we will put a question to Annalise on Monday for recommendations. But in the meantime, Michael says, could you put a shout out to your, your listeners? Has anybody come up with a solution to tinnitus and how do they deal with it? And that's that con- it's a ringing and a buzzing sound, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it sounds dreadful. I mean, it really does sound dreadful. Is anybody... So what we're looking for is somebody who's been 
been suffering from tinnitus for quite some time and what solutions are you using and how are you getting over? I know you've got to learn to live with it, but is there any recommendations that you can give for Michael? Because he said it really is starting to affect his life. If anybody can help us with advice there, we'd love to hear from you, please. 0818103103. I earlier mentioned those uh, HSE figures uh, showing, HSE data showing that more than three thousand patients have died following incidents that happened in Irish hospitals in the last five years. I mean, they're absolutely uh, shocking figures. And overall, almost a half a million incidents which potentially can cause harm were recorded across all hospitals and community healthcare since 2018. And they, they truly are shocking, shocking figures. And a lot of staff within the hospital are pointing to the fact that the reason for it, the, you know, p- the members, nurses, for example, they say they're not in any way uh, surprised because while hospitals are not supposed to be dangerous places, the problem is that the hospitals are so overcrowded, you know, and one nurse was making the point that if you you have an accident and emergency department that is lined with people on trolleys out in the corridors and there's not enough staff to care for them. She said there's no surprise that things are going to go wrong. People are going to make mistakes or people are going to be forgotten about. It truly is uh, shocking. But I think to actually in the cold light of day to see the figures written down in black and white, 3,000 patients dead And nearly a half a million, uh, some kind of potential harm was caused. Truly, truly uh, shocking. And Councillor Declan Hurley says, Patricia, those HSE figures that you spoke about this morning are truly jaw dropping. And you're right in suggesting investing the money that ultimately then has to be paid out in compensation to these patients, that instead of paying out that compensation, it should be used to make our hospital safer. So Declan says, as a councillor, I'll give you another example. Just take a look at the county councils and the compensation that local authorities all over the country have to pay out due to bad roads and bad footpaths and people having trips and spills and falls. The hospitals and the councils, by the way, don't pay out this money themselves out of their own coffers. It comes from their insurer. The insurer pays out and therefore there's no incentive for cost-saving reinvestments. Uh, This will continue. They will just continue paying their annual insurance premium and don't seem to take on board the true impact or the need for making changes and improvements. Again, that's a good analogy. It is the very same as the hospitals. We do see the councils because people do sue sue when they have a fall. And we know if you can prove it, people with their cars being damaged, you know, that's probably a little bit harder, even though people have successfully sued the council as well. But Declan is right. It's the... the insurer pays it out where's the incentive to just reinvest and make the services in the hospitals make them serve make them safer but make our roads and our paths safe so we don't end up with somebody having accidents that then has to has to go on and uh, sue either the hospital or the councils thank you for your whatsapp declan to 086 20103 103 on Ryan Tupperty and RTE and everything that's going on there. Hi Trish. Um, I've always wondered how RTE had had the nerve to charge a TV licence fee of €160 a year. If you look across the water in England, the BBC charge a licence fee. Why? Because they don't take any commercial ads. But then you've got the likes of ITV. They make their money from adverts. It's the opposite here in this country. RTE is full of ads, yet they still charge a licence fee on top. Well, the last time I looked into the licence fee 
RTE say only 55% of their overall costs are covered by licence fees, so they have to make up the rest on uh, on ads. And I suppose we can't really compare like with like. We have a much smaller population base in Ireland than what they have in England. So they get a lot more money. The BBC get a lot more money out of TV licences than what RTE would get even allowing if everybody paid for their TV licence in this country, it still would come nowhere near the amount of money that the BBC uh, make from from their particular licence fee. Uh, thank you for your text. Uh, Tuberty says Anthony has come out treated as the bad guy in all of this. When the people that designed his contracts have chosen to say nothing or ran when people in RTE told them to go and answers that are needed may now never come. It looks to me as always in this country, the institution has to be protected at all costs, says Anthony. And a number of people see that, see Ryan Tuberty is very much the fall guy in all of this. On the Late Late Show, Owl, and will it be no longer when we're looking at the new logo today? Forget the Owl for the Late Late, says our Jimmy and Bantry, a vulture, will be more appropriate for the times we're in as RTE is full of these and other nasty creatures. Whoa. Strong words to me, strong words. Sean says, Patricia, one comment I felt was disgusting that was made by uh, Ryan Tuberty when he said, and this was during the Oireachtas Committee meetings and one of them, he said that he was totally burnt out during COVID. Sean says, how? Uh, Work in a hospital during COVID like Sean did. And he said, then you'd know what burnt out is. You presented a radio and a television show during COVID. How were you burnt out from that? And then on smartphones that we mentioned, um, the wonderful initiative, I think I'm really going to keep a close eye on County Waterford whole Waterford, all of the primary schools in County Waterford across the county and the city are all getting together and they're signing up to this charter whereby they are going to, each school is going to tell the parents, please, please, please do not buy a smartphone for any of your children while they're in primary school. And the whole idea is to get all of the children in that county through primary school, right from little junior infants right up to when they leave after their confirmation in in, uh, sixth class and head on into secondary school, that they'll do that without ever owning a smartphone. And wouldn't it be fantastic? I think it would bring children back to being children again because it's what they have access to on those smartphones that are really, really dangerous. And, you know, as parents, we try to do our best to limit and make sure that our children don't get access. But once you hand them one of those, they literally unless you're sitting on top of them watching every single thing they're doing online they can get access to really age inappropriate uh, material Catherine says those smartphones well she put them smartphones them smartphones they're the ruination of young and old and people are getting totally addicted to them without even knowing it first year says Catherine is plenty of time for any young person to get their own smartphone parents are always complaining about the cost of school and the cost of going back to school etc but Catherine says you'll never hear them complaining about the cost of a smartphone for their son or daughter or then the monthly credit that they have to pay to keep that phone uh, going which uh, is a fair Nevada point thank you for that uh, Catherine and a quick shout out for Mary in Bantry Uh, car keys she said were lost in Bantry yesterday now we have the details if anybody finds them so it would be great because it can be expensive to have uh, car keys replaced and if there's house keys on it there can be a whole issue around security and getting locks chained etc so did anybody find car keys yesterday 
in and around Bantry Town. If so, contact us because uh, we'll put you in contact with Mary. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Bally de Hobbs Summer and Old Boats Festival uh, continues uh, with street sports starting at half seven uh, this evening. And of course, it contains the world turnip uh, race. There'll also be a kiddies disco tonight. Bingo's on in Mallow GAA Complex. Uh, there's a jackpot, €5,800 and bingo will start at 8.15. Bingo's also on in Kildallery in the store at the Creamery uh, Yard. 8 o'clock start with a jackpot, €2,250. Uh, and tonight in Churchtown and tomorrow Saturday in Charleville, the official opening of the Sean Cloric Summer School uh, will be by Councillor Ian Doyle at the Wood Museum Valley Grace in Churchtown at half past seven and that will be followed by a talk on the life and times of Sean Cloric MacDonald. Refreshments will be served afterwards. There's a coffee morning in Donorail Court Tea Rooms tomorrow 10am to 12 noon. Proceeds are going to the Guide Dogs for the dis- or Dogs for the Disabled. My apologies. And a fundraising yoga class with Odetta in aid of CUH Breast Cancer Services will be held in Formoy Rowing Club tomorrow Saturday at 2. Hot drinks, cakes and chats afterwards and a raffle. Now there are limited spaces so you do need, do need to book a place 087 0577695. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And just to the listener on tinnitus, uh, one of our other listeners has said, uh, it's also a tinnitus sufferer, and this listener got, she said, I got hearing aids to relieve mine, and I did help a bit. Uh, not fully, but it does help and obviously makes the tinnitus a little bit more bearable. So that might be a route that our listener can uh, go down. On Ryan Tuberty, Sheila says, Ryan Tuberty is arrogant. He's too arrogant to admit his own responsibility. And his arrogance now has unfortunately finally brought him down. That's according to Sheila. On the smart uh, phones... Let me see what else. Oh, hang on, there's more on tinnitus. Uh, my husband had tinnitus. We, oh, somebody else, Geraldine says, we went and got a hearing aid. He did all the tests and definitely the hearing aids uh, improved things. So that uh, that certainly is a uh, route. And we found the keys. <laughs> OK, car keys have been found reunited in the last two minutes. Thank you for uh, that. And John Paul says on those roadworks that we spoke to Jerry about, we're on to Cork County Council. They haven't come back to us yet. We've also contacted Ward and Burke regarding the roadworks uh, to see if it's anything to do with them and if they can update us if it is uh, as to exactly what's going on and why it's, uh, if they put traffic lights in place when nobody obviously seems to be working on it at the moment. And then on smartphones for primary school children that we discussed with the teacher, the principal, Brian, from Port Law at National School and it's been introduced from term time which is new to September but the kids are all going back aren't they at the end of August the start of next week some of them uh, will be going back and then certainly the following week they'll all be uh, back in so getting very close to term time so children going into school in Waterford this September the parents will all be collectively brought together and asked please do not 
give or buy your child a smartphone while they're in primary school. Patricia, listening to you regarding the smartphones for primary school children, I thought parents had no money, yet they seem to have plenty of money for smartphones for children at primary school level. If they could use the phones instead of the textbooks, they actually might put the phones to some good use. Well, the cost of textbooks doesn't come in anymore because they're free for all primary school uh, students from this year. And then somebody else in kind of coming in defence of why children in primary school need a phone. Could a phone specific for school use be brought in? One that's used, say, for parental contact only and possibly other educational services. This texture says they do need something in today's world for personal safety reasons or in the event of needing to contact a parent for any any number of reasons uh, but could they have something suited to their age groups rather than giving them smartphones because the danger with the smartphone is you have access to the world wide web and as David Coleman the child psychologist when he was asked what age do you give a child a smartphone he said well what age do you want them to have access to pornography because once you hold a smartphone in your hand then you technically have access not just to pornography but you certainly have access to age inappropriate anything over 18 is available in a child's hand on a smartphone so therein therein lies uh, the danger and I know we live in a different era today and people feel they always need to be in contact with their children but you think back to um, and, and I don't know what age group this texture is coming from but we think back when you went to school when you know certainly when I went to school if for whatever reason you needed to contact home the school you know if a child got sick in school I mean still you know it, and even today when, when a child gets sick it's the it's the school will ring the parents to say you know I think there's very few reasons during class times between nine and three or whatever time the children are in school that they would need to have access to home. They're in school to learn, not to be texting or ringing mammy or daddy. You know, if there's something in an emergency that's needed, then surely the teacher, the principal, somebody in the school uh, will do a, an intervention. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there are other parents who feel that their son or daughter in primary does need to have a mobile phone with them at all times. 0818 103 103. And just staying on back to school, because John Paul says we are, we have been getting a lot of calls in uh, about this, because uh, we mentioned this, because I think they did last weekend as well, uh, Feed Cork, they have these back to school stationary packs and these are for families that are really struggling at the moment and they are tomorrow is the second Saturday that they are distributing them between 10am in the morning and 3 in the afternoon and they are doing them from junior infants to second class, third to sixth class and then the final pack is for secondary school uh, ch- children and the collection point is the Cork Church, now that's on Lower Oliver Plunkett Street in the city and when you're going along please either bring your medical card with you or your PPS uh, number of the school age uh, children because they want to make sure that these these particular packs go to the right right places. I mean, I'm hoping nobody would abuse it. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure people won't because people, let's be honest, find it hard enough to reach out and ask uh, for help. But if you are struggling with the stationary packs to get your children back to school, then please uh, reach out tomorrow, anytime between 10 and uh, 3. Cork Church on the lower Oliver Plunkett Street in the city. And we've had a response from Megan who had contacted us uh, via the C103 
Messenger on Facebook and Megan contacted us and she sent on photographs which we appreciate to show exactly what she was talking about and she contacted to say Hi, I'm wondering I'm a frequent patient of the Mercy Hospital in Cork and does anybody know why these plastic barriers are constantly covering the disabled parking bays? There never seems to be any kind of work going on there and I never see them being used. I'm a patient at the Mercy Hospital on average three times a week. Besides these that ones that are always blocked off, the other two options for disabled parking bays are out by the tyre place and nine out of ten times a car will be parked on one of those bays with no blue badge displayed. And by the way, I've never seen anybody find our clamped. It is awful carry on that this is allowed to go on and those disabled parking bays are so, so needed by the hospital. And obviously Megan has one of the blue badges is a regular attendee at the hospital and is really, really struggling to find parking. Now, we did get on to the Mercy Hospital. And look, I don't know if Megan is going to be happy with the with the answer because I, I certainly am not. They say since the COVID-19 pandemic, parking, including disabled parking around the Mercy University Hospital has been impacted. There is currently no public parking on Henry Street and Glenville Place. Some additional disabled parking spaces were provided further along Henry Street and on Prospect Row to replace some of the lost spaces on Henry Street. There's also a facility in place for patients to be dropped off and collected on Henry Street. Now, Dropped off and collected is fine, but I take it from Megan's message to us. She drives herself and she wants to be as independent as possible. And she mightn't have somebody that can bring her three, at least three times a week. She's a patient of, of the hospital. I, I, I don't think that's a good enough answer to say since the pandemic, the parking has been impacted. What What has the pandemic got to do with impacting on disabled parking? And she sent us a picture. There's one Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, if not six disabled bays by the hospital. And all of them are blocked off with these large red and white plastic barriers. Like that's that is just and blaming the pandemic for impacting on parking doesn't make any sense to me. I wonder, John Paul, if we can get on to maybe the council. Is it something to do with the council? Because obviously it's out on the road. So, I mean, I take it the Mercy Hospital don't own those disabled parking bays. It must be something to do with the council. But using the pandemic as an excuse for why those parking bays have barriers across it is simply not uh, good enough. And anyone that ever has to go to the Mercy uh, to the Mercy University Hospital will know it's a nightmare for parking at the best of times, let alone if you have one of these blue badges and you are a disabled uh, driver. We need to make things as easy as possible for people. 0818 103 103. Let me take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And before we go to Mark, we have an answer on why that road is closed. Well, it's not closed off. It's got a traffic light in place. So a stop go uh, for people on the Bandon to Clonakilty Road at Kilcoleman Junction. And my thanks to Councillor Declan Hurley, who heard me talk about it and contacted us to say there was a very serious road accident last week on that stretch of road. And the Gardaí are investigating 
investigating the cause of the accident and the result of that the Gardaí have asked the traffic lights to be put in place until the investigation is, is complete so it isn't to do with roadworks it's to do with the Garda investigation OK thank you for that and uh, we are glad to clarify it OK let me go to Mark Malone our movie reviewer good afternoon to you Mark Hi, and welcome back to us OK two movies for us Haunted House and Heart of Stone here's a trailer of Haunt, oh, not Haunted House Haunted Mansion here's a trailer Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Haunted Mansion. You ready to have your mind blown? We have 999 happy haunts, but there's room for more. We could be trapped here forever. Which offers you this chilling challenge. Is anybody else seeing this? To find a way out. I can show you, but it will cost you three dollars. What? Tyrant robbery. Who said that? Disney's Haunted Mansion. Now, Disney, Haunted Mansion, all of that. And I can hear, that's just the woman, Jamie Lee Curtis, isn't it? Uh, yeah, she's got yeah. A, one of the smaller roles uh, yeah. in the film. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's Disney again. Like, Disney are trying to remake uh, a lot of the, all their old movies. And they also want to know, of course, to uh, remake uh, a lot of their rides at... Um, Disney. At uh, Disney, yeah. yeah. And Haunted Mansion. I presume you've done that, Absolutely. have you? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I didn't do the one in um, in Florida, but I did do the one in Los Angeles. And, I, I uh, did the one in Florida. They're much and much. Uh, they're pretty much the yeah, same, I think, yeah. yeah. So, um, and a lot of it uh, has been reproduced produced in the film you know if you remember where the, the the scene in the haunted mansion where the walls kind of start to slowly come in on you mm. uh, that's in this film and in fact when they made it uh, they wanted it to look very very similar to the, the ride which is uh, something yeah because of course tens of millions of people would have done that ride and exactly that. yeah so you know what I mean there's your, your piece of advertising already done you know yeah. you, you know. so um, the of course I've, this is the first time they've uh, done this for the haunted mansion of course they've made one some years back with Eddie Murphy and it wasn't very very good but it had Eddie Murphy do you know I mean, which was a plus when it came uh, to the film. Uh, the film hasn't done very well at all. It's been, it's bombed really at the box office, you know what I mean? And uh, Yes, another movie this year to have bombed. Exactly, and another Disney movie as well, you know, mm-hmm. and as I've, we've mentioned this, where there's a lot of people, you know, gleefully kind of um, enjoying the fact that Disney are not having a good year. I'm not one of those people at all because Disney, of course, have given us so much entertainment over the yeah, years. Exactly. I liked the new version of The Lion King. I actually liked the, the new version of uh, Pinocchio, uh, whereas a lot of people didn't, they, you know. And uh, But here I think I can understand why they've kind of gone wrong. Okay. Uh, first of all, it's uh, it was $200 million or something. It's not going to earn anything like that. Uh, it's two hours long, which of course is way, way too long for what you would consider to be a kind of a kid's movie. So, so basically, Rosania, Rosaria Dawson and her uh, son uh, buy this mansion and uh, they go first night they go uh, to stay in the mansion and guess what there are ghosts there which for me was the very very first mistake because at no stage do they actually lead up to the fact at no stage as to two kind of newcomers to this mansion do they uh, kind of get an inkling that there's something wrong so there's no build up in suspension I, I read an interview, an interview with a, a director some time ago who wanted to have this kind of lovely opening scene in his movie where the main character drives along the ocean and the piece of music and they said and the, the movie studio said no 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 no. You, you cut all that out you just go straight to it and that's what they've done here so uh, Rosaria Dawson and her son they go into the mansion and the ghosts appear straight away um, which for me was its first mistake Mm. so then Rosaria Dawson decides well uh, she's got to get in contact with Owen Wilson who plays this priest uh, who wants to do an exorcism uh, on the mansion so they put a kind of a team together which includes Jamie Lee Curtis which also includes uh, Danny DeVito um, and uh, to try and find out exactly why the ghosts are there and is there any way shape or form that they could possibly kind of remove them uh, as well the thing about the film is that for me they wanted to have it look very very similar to the ride and I think that's another mistake that was the second mistake for me because the film looks awful and I don't 
know what it is about uh, modern movies. I mean, I did read somewhere some time ago as well where the the question was asked, why are movies, modern movies so dark? Why do cinematographers make everything yeah. so dark? And apparently it's because they can. That was basically the, the gist of the conversation. In the past, if uh, you were making a film and uh, you were filming at night, you would film it during the day yeah. and you would put this kind of gauze over the camera. It was physical gauze that you would put over it. So therefore, you could see what was happening. You knew it was nighttime. Now, of course, everything's so digital. What they do is they basically just make everything as dark as possible. So the film looks terrible. So that's the third thing that they got wrong. Yeah. Uh, the fourth thing that they got wrong for me is that the script is, is really rather dull. That was a lovely kind of joke there from Danny DeVito in, in the, uh, he's the trailer. A f- he's a funny guy. And he's the best thing in the movie. Of is course he? he is because yeah. he's Danny DeVito. Uh, but there's not enough of it. There's not enough of him and, you know, there's not enough of the cast really because they, they're completely underutilized. They're hard, you know, because it's almost like they were so desperate to have so many special effects and so many um, and so many ghosts and so many ghostly things happening throughout the film uh, they forgot about the cast and about an hour in I was desperately bored I really was and uh, Guillermo del Toro was meant to uh, be involved in this very very early on and uh, he wrote a script but the problem is is that Guillermo of course loves to scare people and he loves to scare kids and um, and basically what happened was Disney, Disney turned around to him and said look this is way too scary for what we're trying to, to mm. do so the other fault of the film I think is it's PG-13 which is weird and very strange to me because one of the criticisms was that it wasn't scary enough but of course if Disney made it really scary then kids won't watch it with their adults uh, Adults. The problem is that they made they made it just about scary enough for it to get PG thirteen, which is no good if you know you not want scary to, enough. Yeah, yeah. If, at Halloween, it's you got, want to watch yeah. this with your kids. It's got to be one or the other. It's got to be one or the yeah. other, and it doesn't seem to know which uh, you know, it wants to be. And that's another fault uh, for me in the film because it, I, they were, they, some of the ghosts are scary. People say they weren't, but I thought they were quite scary. Okay. And I put my mind into a ten year old, for example, watching this, and would they be scared? I think they would be scared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that is the problem with the film. You either go both ways. You either make it completely light and lighthearted and fun and Disney-like or go the other way and have it really, really And make it for the older teenagers who love it, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There's one wonderful piece in it, by the way. Winona Ryder has a cameo. Keep an eye out for that. She's terrific. Jared Leto plays uh, the hat box box ghost and, uh, of course, because it's Jared Leto, he's got to have a silly voice and he's got to have a face full of kind of uh, makeup and he's he's rather silly, but then that's Jared Leto. He can't just simply turn up and act. He's got to do all this kind of nonsense. So yeah, in the end, look, I I, I was very disappointed with it, but then so are a lot of people. I think it's got like a twenty eight percent approval rating. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not good, and mm-hmm. it has been a bomb at the box office as well. So keep in mind, it's PG thirteen. Okay, so mark that at a ten. Haunted I'll, house. I'll give it a haunted mansion. Oh, uh, in, oh <laughs> sorry, mansion. I'll give it five. Five, and a lot of that is for Danny DeVito. Okay, your your second movie then is, um, is this Jamie Dorn? Jamie Dorn's in this, uh, yeah, Gal Gadot. Uh, it's not Gadot, it's Gadot. I, Gadot, Heart of Stone. And Heart of Stone, which is, um, uh, it's another Netflix film. It's another Netflix uh, action film. Okay. It's another Netflix action film, which is really Netflix rather disappointing. Netflix are banging them out, aren't they? They do bang them out, yeah. but the problem is, is that not many of them are any good, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, and they all seem to have, it's almost like they're written by a couple of guys uh, who've just come out of college, a couple of students and they go look look at every action movie ever made and then just write a script and come up with a load of action sequences and uh, we will have loads of money we'll travel all over the world and uh, we'll make these movies and uh, we'll just stick them on our network and people will watch them because there's nothing else to watch basically and so again it's, 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 it's a disappointment you know but at least we have a female lead here Gal Gadot who of course uh, is a superwoman and, um, and initially when we see her she's working for MI5 and she's new to the team and so therefore the team kind of patronised her really you know what I mean 
mean, because they don't think she's up to much and she can't really do anything. What they don't realise is that she's actually working for another agency, another secret agency called the Charter. Now, this Charter um, kind of has eyes and ears all over the world and um, it tries to kind of prevent the powerful and the dangerous from taking over the world. And... um, they use this technology called the heart. I don't know if you remember Minority Report with, um, um, oh, with Tom Cruise. If oh, you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, remember he had a computer, but he used to drag kind of pieces of information out of the and sky. This, and, yeah. and it was really cool. So that's what yeah. they do here. But basically, okay. what it means is that this thing called the heart, it can kind of um, it can kind of be in contact with every single piece of technology around the world. And so therefore, on screen, they can know exactly where Gal Gadot is. If she gets in trouble, they can tell her how to get out of areas. And it's very, very well done, I have to say. And there is a lot of money um, given to this film, which it needed, to be honest with you. It's basically a, a kind of a Bond film. It's kind of got a, it's a Mission Impossible film with a female lead. And um, the problem with it is there's a very, very good opening sequence in, in the snow, which is very, very similar to um, a couple of the, um, uh, the Pierce Brosnan Bonds. And it was very, very exciting. And I kind of enjoyed it. And I said, look, you know what I mean? I've seen this all this good, before. Yeah. But this is going to be good. There's nothing new here. Yeah, yeah so I, I enjoyed that. And then there was a sequence where they went to Lisbon and they just tore the middle of Lisbon apart. Not one police officer could be seen at any stage or form. And this seems to be the new thing. You know, we've seen movies from, uh, you know, Fast and the Furious. And we've seen movies, you know, where they've just gone into Europe and European cities like Rome or, or uh, you know, and, and Paris and just tear them apart. But again, no police arrive and nothing happens. They just leave. Uh, so there's the first two sequences, action sequences, I actually thought were pretty good. Again, though, an hour in, as the next sequence happened and the next sequence happened, I'm thinking... You've basically lifted all these yeah, from other all movies, this before, yeah. and and a lot of them are very very similar to action sequences uh, we, we've actually seen before, and um, and I found that really really quite tiring. And the other problem is that the story did get very very complicated and convoluted, which was completely unnecessary, and I did kind of begin to lose kind of interest uh, in it. But there's a lot to enjoy here. I think, you know, it's a big movie. Uh, there is some excitement. Um, I have to say, Jamie Dornan, though, is poor. I mean, oh, he, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say oh, that. No, I really am. <laughs> he, I'm a big fan. He's completely miscast in this is film. He? Oh. Uh, and I've been a, criti- a critic of Gal Gadot in the past, but I think she does as best as she can. I think she's all right in, in the film. She does her best, and, uh, and she's absolutely fine. So there are some sequences which are terrific fun, but a lot of it we've seen before, unfortunately. Heart of Stone, yeah. Mark and I'll get that one at six. Six, all right, and that's on Netflix. Okay, thank you for that, Mark. Have a lovely week. And uh, we'll chat with Mark again uh, next uh, Friday. Okay, a couple of texts coming in that I can pick up on on phones and phones for, for children for mobile phone use in schools. Somebody says Patricia, on the phones, phones should simply, should simply be switched off when they are in uh, school. I think it is important for children to have uh, a phone with all of the crazy people that are out there. I as a granny worry when my grandchildren are cycling, for example, to and from school. I'm always afraid they could be bundled into a car. At least if they have a phone with them, they could be tracked. That that's from Anne, who would, would be against not having primary school children having a phone. And someone else says, Patricia, no student should have a phone with them while in school. And that goes for either primary school or secondary school. When I was going to secondary school, even if we were caught with a phone, it was taken away by the teacher and it would be dropped into the principal's office. That rule should be brought back uh, in. And and, and I, I would assume that that is what's 
happening in most uh, schools that are allowing mobile phones. I'm, I'm assuming the majority of them have that rule because I know some of the schools have introduced those boxes that you put the phone into so the phone won't work while you're in uh, school. And certainly I don't think there is any school whereby they're encouraging the children to take out uh, the phones. But what they're trying to do in Waterford is to take the pester power away so that no child will have a school, will have a phone and therefore there won't be all the children going home going, you know, Johnny has one, I want to have one. And then on the Mercy Hospital and the parking issue that we're trying to get the bottom of and why those disabled bays are all blocked off. Here's a sad text. My dad passed away in um, the Mercy in July of uh, 2022. Uh, sorry. Sorry, deepest sympathies to you. It's hard to say goodbye to you. Much love, Dad. The day we got the call to say that our dad was dying, we obviously rushed to the hospital. My brother, who's a wheelchair user, was refused parking in one of those wheelchair bays. The the security would not let us park there. There was no parking elsewhere. And with every minute precious, we were not allowed to park. I told him my brother was in the back of the car and we couldn't get a wheelchair space nearby to get him out. It made a very difficult situation so much worse. That's just dreadful. So, so sad. Okay, listen, I've got to leave it there. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you Monday morning at 10. On to the Nine Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Michael English to Claudia Buckley. Mary Black to Declan Nurney. And the High Kings to Louise Morrissey. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am on C103. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.